Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. watched a minute ago. We're in this series called Chasing the Wind, and we took a break last week, and I, I thought last week was awesome. Ashley and Logan leading the service, sharing the vision of United Students, and, and just talking about faith, and that was just a great, solid message if you were here for that. We're jumping back into the series today and, and looking at Ecclesiastes 5, but I thought what I'd do is kind of just catch us up a little bit. Some of you maybe have missed, you've been gone, and what, where we are at this point. What's well, interesting is if you look in depth of who wrote it, many people believe it was Solomon. Others would say maybe other writers, but at least Solomon in his time was the one that that authorized the writing Ecclesiastes. But you get his tone and tenor very similar to what you read in Proverbs and, and Song of Solomon and the other writings that, that Solomon oversee what was written. I, I'm sure he had a team of people to put that together because Solomon was busy. Solomon had so much going on in his life. If you look back at Solomon's life and all that he had is this, he had it all. He had wealth, he had power, he had women, he had, he had just riches. He was just, had everything he had. But Ecclesiastes is just kind of a little bit of a lament, the fact that he chased after so much, but the end, his description of it all was meaningless. He pursued, and just kind of review a little bit, what did he pursue? Well, Solomon in chapter 1, he pursued wisdom. He says, I devoted myself to study and explore wisdom, and all that has been done under heaven. What a heavy burden God had laid on me. He was, like a lot of people, seeking after wisdom and, and, and philosophy and, and sociology and, and all that, all the all theologies he was after, and he came up empty. He, he went after wine. And in this form of pleasure and laughter and foolish behavior. In chapter 2, he says, I, I, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also provided to be meaningless. Solomon partied like a lot of people do. They got wasted on Friday night and had a lot of regrets the next day and hangovers and realizing this isn't worth it. It's leaving me empty. Well, then he poured himself in his career and work. He said, I, understood, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. Poured himself in all that he was doing. And yet he concluded this. Yet when I surveyed all my hands have done, what I've toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Working hard. Left him empty. So he chased wealth. He says, I, amazed, I was amazed in silver and gold for myself and treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. And the delight of a man's heart. I deny myself nothing my eyes desired. He had it all. Guess what? It was nothing. So he kept going. He kept chasing. And he chased after women. And for all of us here, it would be worldly relationships. He, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And, his, and it says this, and his wives left, left him astray. And he strayed from his devotion to the Lord. And with that, it complicated his life and brought so much pulling away of what and who he really was and his, his pursuit 
of God himself. So he chased after all these things. Wisdom, wine, work, wealth, worldly relationships. And came to this conclusion, it was meaningless. Now, before we judge Solomon, as we look like, how could he throw his life away with it, that way? Let me, let me ask you this, but don't raise your hand on these questions, okay? Is there anyone in this room who's ever chased after and finding meaning in human wisdom? You, you turn to authors and you turn to philosophy and you try to be smarter in, in your intellect and it's left you empty. Is there anyone here in this room who's ever tried to drown their sorrows and parties and everything and woke up with hangovers and regret in your life? Anyone here in this room have ever buried themselves in work and worked to the bone and, and yet left empty and, and lifelessness in your, in your pursuit of life and relationships? Anyone in this room ever chased after almighty dollar and found out you came out even more hungry not, and, and less satisfied because the newest and the greatest was never enough? It was never in your reach. Has anyone in this room tried to fill your heart with sex and non-committed rather than faithful intimacy that's left you cheap alone? Is there anyone in this room has pursued all any of those things? And here's the challenge for us is every single one of those areas are what the world tells us, our culture tells us to chase after and considers it normal. And yet doesn't fulfill us at all. In fact, if Solomon was here today, if he was the guest speaker, he'd come up here and share all that he's experienced. And he's saying, well, that's what culture's telling you. His response would be, Baloney. It would be. It would. It would. He would. He would get up here and he would. That is phony baloney. He would say, "You are missing it. I've chased after all these things: wine and women and wealth and work and all these pleasures. I, 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 I had it all. I experienced it all." And he comes out. It's just like chasing after the wind. You're never going to get it. Here's the question: What are you chasing after? What are you chasing after? That's really the theme throughout this whole series. What are you chasing after? Well, we get into chapter 5. Really, what it comes back to, what we're chasing after is what we worship. Solomon brings it to his place in chapter 5 of what our, our hearts are devoted to. And it's expressed in a couple of different areas that we're going to look at here. Very practical ways. But he says this, starting in verse 1, chapter 5, here we go. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are in earth, so let your words be few. Solomon seems to, what he express here is that all those things, all the pursuits that he have and chasing after comes back to us, to a heart of worship, of, of being in awe of God and who God is. It comes back down to our, our devotion or our affection toward God. He says, in those moments with the presence of God and me and the awe of God, let your words be few. Have you, have you experienced the, the presence of God lately? Maybe this morning you did. Maybe there's been a moment you did. I remember 
back when I first experienced the presence of God. I, it was back in 1986. I was in a junior in high school. We were at a retreat in Camp Lutheran. Does anyone know where Camp Lutheran is? Down in Lake Samish, the little corner of Lake Samish, a little camp there. We had a retreat, youth retreat. It was a, it was a winter retreat. I remember this roaring fire in this, this, this log lodge that we were a part of. And I, I remember feeling God's presence. It was like the fire in that fireplace was in my heart. And I, 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 to this day, I remember that moment and that experience because that was the first time I really tangibly felt the presence of God in my life. And I've had other experiences along the ways many, many times. But I tell you, there's moments and there's even gaps in my life and gaps in my week even that I go, am I even feeling God's presence? Why am I not feeling that way? Maybe you've felt that way as well. Why is that? Why does it seem like God's distant? Why is he not near me? Why do I not feel him right now? And I look back and I evaluate my life and I evaluate my day and my week. And I, I, I can blame busyness. I can blame busyness, but really it's a, it's a matter of priority. Our lives are filled with so much that we consider urgent. We consider and we get drowned in responsibilities and distractions. And we can miss the time to just having experienced the awe of God. In verse 3, Solomon goes with that. He says, a dream comes when there's many cares. Now, there's good dreams. They're dreaming about the future and goals. There's nothing wrong with dreaming. But in many times, our dreams, we get caught up on what we want and what we're doing, and it brings care in our life. The dreams actually lead us down a road that maybe sometimes is not the direction that God wants us to go. And I find that, that dreams are interesting. You, even, even dreams when you're sleeping. I had an opportunity a week, take a week off. And, and I don't know about you, when you get in the mode of you get up early in the morning, you, end up, like you're, you have that internal clock, you get up and you wake up. And there's times you're like, oh, I don't have to get up. I'm going to roll over and try to go back to sleep. There's, there's days that I did that on my vacation. And I would dream the weirdest dreams. I don't know about you. Do you ever do that? Like you go back to bed or you go back to sleep and you're just like, and I'm going like this epic journey down this, like I thought it was Alice in Wonderland one time and I'm going down this hole and everything and there's the Mad Hatter and I looked in the mirror and the Mad Hatter was me and I'm like, I'm like, what's going on? I wake up and I'm exhausted and I'm like, why didn't I just get up early and have coffee, right? I was like, I'm more tired before, you know? But I thought about that, you know, Physiologically, our brains, actually what they're doing in dreaming, it's resetting our brain. It's kind of defragging. It's good to sleep. Sleep helps you kind of reset your life and that. And I thought that's really what we need with God is that in our worship of God, we're getting a reset. We're, we're coming to a place and if we don't have the reset, if we don't take the time to spend some time with God and set our day and set our week and what we're doing, worry, stress, and the simple demands are, of our attention, we, it pushes that away. And we're not living very healthy that way. And what it is, is the tyranny of the urge. In fact, the classic book called The Tyranny of the Urgent, Charles Himble says this, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. The, cra- the, the, the urgent things that crowd out the important. What is so urgent in your life that's pushing away the importance of spending time with God and, being, and taking time to be in awe of God in his presence. Solomon really is saying, as we're going to look in here, that there's a couple areas that can pull us away from the awe of God, pull us away in our worship of God, but, but we can look at them actually in a positive way that what God can do with them and through them. But a core truth for us today is this. Our worship of God, it reveals this. It re- it's revealed through our words and our wealth. Our worship of God is revealed through our words and our wealth. You're wondering where this comes from and those thoughts is this. It comes from 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that we're going to look at here today. That our mouth and our money, at the heart of it all, in our worship of God, in a practical way that we're going to look at. You've heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is. Today we're talking about putting your, your mouth in your, and your money where your, your heart is. The first is our mouth, and you can write this in. Choose, this is a, a challenge for us, to choose quality over quantity of our words. When it comes to our, our worship of God and our focus of our life is to choose quality over quantity of, of your words. Solomon goes from letting our words be few, then he says in the, the next part of this verse, in verse 3, he says, many words mark the speech of a fool. Many words make, mark the speech of a fool. One of the things I'm challenged with is I'm a verbal guy, and I just say how I feel. And have you ever done that? That uh, that can get you in trouble sometimes, a lot of times. And I have been accused of being more of a talker than a listener. Many times people, can you just listen? Can you, hold up, just listen. And I have difficulty doing that, because what happens, I'm what is called a verbal thinker. And I'll say things... And I don't always mean them. Now, hopefully today you're going, oh, do you mean what you're saying here? I, I believe I do. But you know, you're just throwing out ideas. I mean, there has been times we've been with friends and, 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 and I, we, we, this, this one family knew their, 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 their grandma made this wonderful lasagna recipe and it was so good. And, and her last name was Tomato. And I'm like, that's a great Italian name. Let's order, order let's, 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 let's put together a restaurant. Let's build a restaurant. We start dreaming. And we went down like an hour and talking about it. And I thought we were just kidding, right? I wasn't sure. And all of a sudden, like, she's calling the bank and see if we can get a loan and everything. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not investing in anything. I thought we we're opening an Italian restaurant. I'm just talking. I'm not really thinking we're going to do that. The, the lasagna was really good. That's all I was saying, right? And my wife has to remind people he's just joking or just, you know, it's good. So I know what it's like to be, if you're a verbal thinker and our filter isn't always, you know, thick enough to do that, but it can get us in trouble. It can get us, our words can get us in, in trouble. And, it, and really what it is, we become fools and it's embarrassing. King Solomon says, speak truth, speaking truth. He says, be wise with your words. Look at Proverbs 15 says, gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Proverbs 4, just a, such an important scripture. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. See, the older I get, I'm learning that wise people use their words out of very deliberate placement. They use their words few, and when, when they speak, there's wisdom and truth as they speak because they're thinking about processing what to say. So, so important. See, with our mouth, this is so important. We commit to what you say you will do. Out of our worship of God is this, that we commit what we say we're going to do. Solomon goes on about worshiping through our words. He says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Solomon is saying what, what for us is to commit to what we say we're going to commit to God. That is a true form of worship. 
When we worship on Sunday, we call it worship by singing songs. By, it's a wonderful thing. I think it's a catalyst for the week. I mean, you can't take a, a worship band around the week, but you can. this is a catalyst for you to get going, to be thinking, and get your mar, mind and heart set. And you're, there's some words to express. Nothing wrong with doing that. But if that's all that is encompassing our worship, it's so not enough. In fact, we could be accused of being hypocritical. That we're saying what we're saying, and the next day, it's almost like we have spiritual amnesia on Monday morning, that we completely live a different life, and what comes out of our mouth is not worship at all. Are we committing to what we're committing to? What we sing, are we committing to it? Are we saying, I'm going to live that out to keep our word? Keeping our word is so important. The making a vow and, and keeping with the commitment is so important as a, an expression of worship to God. And it's expressed with, with one another. Several years ago, uh, we, when I first was a youth pastor, we were changing positions. And we had the opportunity. We got the interview to go to southern Idaho. We lived in the Seattle area. My wife and I were first married. And we had this opportunity to go to southern Idaho. And, and it was a great experience with this church. And, and so they called us up and they said, we'd like you if you're interested, if you feel led to come and be youth pastors at this church. And so we'll give you a few days to pray about it, think about it, and respond. And so at the time, as much as that was a great opportunity, we would have to move 1,200 miles. We'd have to leave family and friends. And, and, and Chrissy had a wonderful job that she had. And so we were really a lot at stake to make, make that move. I was waiting for another church to call me down the street, and they weren't calling, they weren't calling, and I'm like, what's happening? I'm wondering and wondering. Well, the day came, and I remember the day my, my wife goes, she goes, you're going to call the church today in Idaho, aren't you? And let them know. And so, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so, you know, time goes on, and like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go work out. And then, then I did that, and then I went and had lunch and grabbed, made a sandwich, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to call. And I remember calling and letting the pastor know, and he was like, you're kidding. You're really going to come? <laughs> and I'm like, hopefully that's a good sign. And, and, and then within an hour, I'm not joking, within an hour, I get a call from the church down the street that I've been waiting days to hear from, calls within the hour. And is this pastor sharing how we can get together and talk more about the position and everything? I hear the Lord say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so midway, I had to say, hey, stop you. I actually just received, you know, accepted a position just within an hour ago. And he goes, well, if that's not God of confirmation, and it was. We had a wonderful five years in southern Idaho. And, and yet, I look back and go, God, there's times, am I letting my yes be yes? Am I no be no? That is a true form of worship with our words. Solomon tells us straight up, if we don't do this, it says, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. We can sin with our, with our mouth, with our words. And, and then verse 6, he says, Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. That our words, our worship to God, that we are careful with our words because that's how we're going to fear God. Fear is an awe and reverence toward God and who he really is. We've got to keep in mind our words are powerful. They're powerfully positive or terribly destructive. James reminds us, like a fire, you might be sat around the fourth and had a, a bonfire and roasted marshmallows. That's a wonderful, warm feeling experience. Fire is great when it's contained, but when it's out of control, it can burn acres and thousands of acres and be so destructive. Our words are the same way. James reminds us of this. this is when the, when the tongue, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, but with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. 
My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Let me just ask yourself this question. Are my words worthy of worship of God? Not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. Am I, what I'm saying throughout the week, am I still in an attitude of worship toward God? Well, that's convicting, isn't it? Looking back on our last week and what we said and what we shouldn't have said. But it's a, it's a challenge for us all. And even more vital is to know this, that it, it is out of the abundance of the heart that our mouth speaks. Where did it come from? It came It came from here. It came from somewhere. It connects back. Our words, our mouth connects in our worship to God. Solomon was right. He was right. He's also with this is we worship God with our wealth. And that's our money. Think how practical these things are. Our mouth and our money. You can't get more, you know, committed to what those areas in our our life are. Now, speaking of money, you already know this, but the more you have, the more you want. Now, think about this, and in, in, in it comes to worship and how we, our adoration, our, our affection, what we desire. The more you have, the more you want. That, that potato chip commercial is right. You know, you can't just eat one, okay? There's a bag of them. And we crave more and more and more. Solomon's saying this. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless, Never satisfied with income. They, they say that you will rise to the level of your income. You're thinking, how can I get, on, get, get, get all the bills paid with this? Guess what? You get more money. Guess what? Your expenses go up. How did that happen? And now it's funny. You have, it doesn't even matter your income level. Many people have more expense than income. It's called credit cards. The average person, I looked it up, March 2019. The average person, average American has $7,000 in credit card. 7,000, that's probably individually. It could be as a family even more. Think about 18 to 20% interest. Man, some people never pay that off. They're indebted. There's a, they're a slave to that. If you're in that place, man, get help. Get some, get some things squared away. And you're in a place, you're in a crisis right now, and you're trying to work through it, get some financial help. We can direct you toward some great resources that are there. But know this, more is never enough. It's actually more meaninglessness. Know this, the more you have, next, the more people want to take, <laughs> right? More you have, more people want to take. I shared my, multiple times, my mom was a beautician and she had a lady who won $13 million back in the early 80s in the Washington State Lottery, which, talk about taking, probably, you know, IRS probably took half that. Maybe six, seven million she's left. That's a lot of money to have. And the sad part of her life is she ended up dying bitter and alone. People have disowned her. She disowned people, her own kids, because they're money grubbing. And she was left lonely and bitter and died. Money is great, but it does things to people. Not just to the people that have it, but the people that, that, you, that, that people know that have it. And people look at us sometimes when we have something and they, and you know, you trust of a, you know, you know, a true friend because they're not wanting to get something from you, but you have friends that can butter up to you or want something from you. And you can sense that. And that's what Solomon means by this. He says in verse 11, he says, as a good, goods increase, so do those who consume them rising to the level income, right? And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? I tell you, the worth of our friendship, it can be priceless. Let's not let anything get in the way. If you know someone that's wealthy, why are you friends with them? For them or for their wealth? If you have a lot of money, are you, 
are the friends that you have, how can you build friendship with them and not just always giving them something, but growing in it? Money, money is not the issue. And as we talk about, it goes even further of really what's going on is, is a heart issue. See, with money, the more you have, the more you worry about it. Not true. The more you have, the more you worry about that. Somebody's like, well, I got a lot of worry. I don't have enough money. I tell you, with a lot comes a lot of worrying, a lot of concerns. My family now, we own four cars. We're going to have soon four drivers. Now, with four means, well, we don't have car payments. We have old cars. So we have no car payments. That's good. But we have four sets of tires. We have four, you know, everything's in four. Like, you know, you know, quadrupling our insurance. Okay. Oh, okay. It's all in that and part of this thing. And we keep going. And why do we have it? Because, well, well, my, you know, son's at college. My wife has to go to work. My daughter now is going to have to drive to Bellingham to school and all, all that's going on. And I got to drive somewhere. I know WTA is available, but you know how it goes, all that. I'm just saying with it goes, this is that is, is that's responsibility because more you have, is more things that break. The more you have, there's more of demand of our attention. And verse 12, Solomon's saying this. He says, the sleeper of a labor is sweet whenever they eat little or much. If you have a nine to five or some of you got, you know, a eight to eight job, you work 12 hours a day. Many of you guys have jobs. You can just punch in, punch out. You don't have to think about your job, right? There's some people have jobs that are businesses and things that takes a lot of wealth. If you're thinking, I one day want to have it all. Guess what? What does he say about this? But as those for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So the more you have, more worries you have, more struggles you have. And, and you might think that's a first world problem, right? But it is a real problem. If we're consumed with what we're consumed with, it will consume us. If, we're, if what we possess, it will possess us. If we make it an idol rather than worshiping God, it all goes back to God and our, and our adoration and our devotion to him. Finally, to know about this is the more you have, the more prone you are to greed. The more prone you are to greed. You don't believe me what Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 13, verse 13 of chapter five. He says, I've seen grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Some of us kind of go, well, I'd like to test that. If I had more, would I really hoard it? I don't know, it goes back to your heart. It goes back to where you're at. I'll tell you, those who won the lottery, what they found is this, they, they couldn't handle the windfall. Most people, you've probably watched this or read this or heard this, most people that have won a big fat lottery blow through it like the 4th of July, okay? They, they burn it very quickly through it so fast, it's so out of control that within just a few years, many of them are broke, alone, or dead, and a sad picture. It's not the money, it's how they handled the money. Listen, I've met plenty of greedy poor people. I've met plenty of greedy rich people. It's, it's not about, it's about the heart. It's about the fear. It's the stockpiling that's there. And I tell you, you know this, and scripture says, it doesn't say, you know, money is the root of all evil. What does it say? The love of money is the root of all evil. It's, it's a heart issue. It comes down to a heart condition. Jesus timelessly tells us this, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I always think about this as it, there, you just, there's an invisible chain that connects our heart to our pocketbook, our heart to, ladies, to your purse, our heart to your cash app. There's a chain that links those. And it's the same way with our mouth. Our heart and our mouth are connected together. 
It's just the way it is. It comes out and it comes back to what is near and dear to us. And it brings us back to worship. What is worship and why we worship? And so as we wrap up here in a moment, let's take a moment and ask the Lord to help us to get our heart in check. Our mouth by, by evaluating our mouth and our money. Get our heart in check to, to take some time in our words and our wealth and align them with not, not our sinful heart because you know your heart. It's sinful, decrepit, it's selfish. It goes, it'll take you down to a path and a road of destruction. But getting in line with the heart of God and that's what our teacher Solomon has been helping us do all along to get perspective. And this is what he ends with at the end of chapter five. He says this, Listen to this. This is what I observe to be good. All those things, all those things are toil, all those things are meaningless. He says this. This is appropriate for a person to eat and drink and to find satisfaction and their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil. What does he say? This is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. What is he saying? That people, when they come and they understand that God's presence is all that they need, the relationship with God is all that they need, they come and he says, you have gladness in your heart because you're accepting this gift of life that you have, that you know your lot in life, that you get it and you come to the place of acceptance. Solomon's saying, or really asking, what truly satisfies your soul? It's not going to be a full wallet. Jesus says a man does not, man's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. It's not a full stomach. Some of you are hungry. It's not a full stomach. It, it is, is, Jesus says man does not live by bread alone. It's not in, in a full portfolio or a nest egg. Jesus says a man can build bigger barns, but that night his soul will be required of him that God calls upon him. It's not that. What is he saying? Psalm is saying it's having a full heart that's satisfied because recognizing the gift that God's given us, that he blesses our life with a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. See, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, it's this, what occupies your mind? What occupies your heart? What's your affection that you have? If it's in things or things of this earth or people of this earth, it's gonna fall short. Solomon is a one song guy through all 12 chapters. It's gonna continue on. All those things are meaningless. Where you're gonna experience joy is in the presence of God. What's gonna give you satisfaction for your soul and what's gonna fill you to what the measure that you're to be filled and be satisfied is being in awe and in the presence of Almighty God. I tell you, when I'm lonely and I'm confused and I'm busy and everything and I, I get out my life out of sorts, I'm realizing this, I'm not recognizing God's presence in my life. And I need to stop. And I, and I almost need reminders throughout my week about you. I'm just going, no, 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 no. God loves me. God has a relationship with me, desires to be with me, wants to fill me with his presence. But we get so distracted and pulled away in so many directions. And it really comes down to this. If you're pursuing God and desiring for him, it's your choice and my choice. 
See, we have a choice either to continue to live in an attitude of perpetual want or choose to relish in the satisfaction of all that we have in the moment we have it as a gift from God. Let me just say that one more time. We have a choice, either continue to live with an attitude of perpetual want or choose to relish in the satisfaction of all that we have and the moment we have it is a gift from God. And when we come to that place and we come to that understanding, everything else is second. Is it wrong to have wealth? Is it wrong to have power? Is it wrong to have pleasure? Is it wrong to... No, none of that's wrong. Those are gifts if they're used in a godly way, but that's not our motive That's not our affection. That's not what we pursue and desire. All that is going to fade away. It's it's the word Hebrew says in meaningless. It's hevel. It's vapor. It's mist. It's gone. It won't last. What matters is that we can experience the presence of God. And Solomon says this. He says this gift of God is where you're going to find joy. The gladness of your heart. Don't you want that? That's what I desire. I'd like our team to come. And they're going to lead us in a moment here. We're going to spend some time, if this is even a word, in awness of God. A moment that we can take here to practice God's presence. As they prepare, I would like you to bow your head with me. Let's just prepare our heart. Because what we do on Sundays is really just a practice for us to do this throughout our week. And I want you to take a moment as they get ready. I want you to get, take a moment. I want you to evaluate. As we talk about a Solomon basically says there's two areas. Two areas of, of our devotion and worship are reflected in our, in our words and in our wealth. In our mouth and in our money. Or whatever you possess or what do you hold to do. Those are two areas of our life. I want you to take a moment and just evaluate your words Words of this last week, for some of us, this is probably the most convicting part of everything is, oh my gosh, I, I really blew it the other day. I said the wrong thing. I reacted the wrong way. I, I, I was pursuing what I wanted to. I sinned with my mouth this last week. I always encourage you just to go before the Lord and humble yourself and say, Lord, forgive me of that. Forgive me the words that I've spoken. And you might need to go back even this week and apologize because maybe those words were spoken to somebody. And you could go back. It doesn't, you can go back and, and correct that. You, say, you can say, that person, I, the other day I said that to you and I, I want you to forgive me of that. I hope you can. And if they do or not, that's up to them. But it's really you cleaning your side of the situation so your heart can be pure before the Lord again. For some of us that we've acquired so much, let's just, let's just face it, in a holiday weekend, so much we've consumed and all that we've done and we've made, we get our priorities off a little bit. Nothing wrong with having fun. Nothing wrong with blowing up stuff. But it comes down to, where's my heart? Where's my devotion? Is it in the stuff that I have? Is it, if it's things on this earth, if it's my devotion toward God? If you've taken some time here today and you realize, man, I've, I've made, I've worried about stuff. I've worried about my, my bills. I've worried about what I have or what I don't have. It's time to just go before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me of that. Lord, help me. I need help. I need, I need some, I need some wisdom. I need some, some, some peace and, and trust in you by faith, believing that you're going to provide all that I need. And I don't have to be in want. I don't have any perpetual desires I have. I can find my soul satisfaction in you. God, as we evaluate our life today, 
what really matters of worship. It's, it's wonderful to sing songs. It's wonderful to have words to help us articulate it. But what matters is our heart toward you and what really gives we give affection to and what we proclaim and what we live. And God, we've been inconsistent at times and we confess that to you. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of that. So we can walk in alignment of what we proclaim and say on a Sunday is what we want to live out throughout the week. Be a model and an encouragement to the people around us that we really, really truly live out what we believe. For some of us, we've got caught up in stuff. We've caught up in the, the things that we have or don't have and it's, it's consumed us and it's crowded out our, our worship and our devotion and affection. God, we commit again, once again, that what really truly will satisfy our soul, what truly will matter the most and, and, and fill us, Lord, is your presence in our life through the Holy Spirit. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, right now that you would just come and where those are crying out to you, Lord, that you would fill us today. You said, be filled with the Holy Spirit and that we'd be filled with you once again and the, and the weak areas of our life and the empty places in our life, Lord, the things that we thought would fill us are actually leaving us more hungry, Lord. And what we need ultimately is you. Your soul satisfies us. Or your, your, your presence, your spirit satisfies our very soul, Lord. And we trust you in that. Believe that you will do that. And Lord, there's still going to be a wanting. There's still going to be a yearning on this earth. We won't completely be filled until heaven and the fulfillment was there. So Lord, our heart aches toward heaven. But one day we'll wake up there. One day we'll experience fully all that you have. But Lord, continue to put us on the pathway toward you. God, if there's some here that have not turned their life over to you, they've, they've followed their own path and it's led to destruction. They can really relate with Solomon and all these things that Solomon pursued left him empty. Lord, there's some here today that felt they're feeling empty. And what they need is you, Jesus. May they just say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. Fill me with who you are, Lord so that I can experience full your, your power and your presence that truly, truly satisfies me, Lord. God, we thank you for this time and opportunity that we've gathered here as we continue to worship as we close here today. We pray this in Jesus' name.